Greetings, ladies and men and gents, and welcome to this narration of the web novel Humans Don't Make Good Familiars, taken from Reddit with the author's approval. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Jake, she started, what do you mean by more orders? Do you need more weapons? No, actually, uh, what happened in the alley made me think about something else. When that noble threw that ball of magic at me, I couldn't have moved a shield into place fast enough to block it. What I need to do is having something that is always blocking attacks. I need some armor. What is armor? Simo wondered. I thought for a moment about how to describe it. It's, um, like a shield that you can wear. Oh, Simo jumped. Like your clothes. Are they a kind of armor? I don't think that would be enough. It didn't do much against the nobleman's attack after all. No, um, clothes aren't a kind of armor. At least not against anything more dangerous than sunburn. Good armor is usually some kind of metal affixed to leather or a durable cloth. I thought for a moment, wondering how normal metal would fare against magic. Then said, But in all honesty, I, I don't know if just metal would protect against magical attacks. What do your people use for stuff like that? Well, I guess we embed it with runes. Or if you want something higher quality, we could have magic channels engraved into it. But that's difficult to maintain and expensive. Some Niyama store their mana up for years to afford that, and it's usually only done for nobles who have the ability and time to maintain the equipment. Sue told me as she waddled her head back and forth as she thought. Um, I began feeling a bit confused. I recognize what ruins are, sort of. Uh, what are magic channels? Have you ever heard of ley lines? Sue asked. Kind of. I'm semi-familiar with them, I said hesitantly. Magic channels are basically artificial ley lines carved into non-living objects. It allows one to run their own magic through their weapons or equipment. Normally, it is used to reinforce structures against magical attacks, but I guess it could be used for armor, she explained. Okay, so people put these channels into walls and stuff, then run magic into it to protect the building, I asked. Exactly, she said. And how is that different from a rune? From what I know about them, they are basically the same thing, I questioned. Mal runes operate in a similar way, yes, but the main difference is customizability. Runes can be set into something, then all you have to do is run mana through it and get the desired effect will occur. But magic channels can be influenced to meet the circumstances. Imagine you have a house with runes engraved into the walls to repel fire. That's going to be useful if someone tries to burn it down. Useless if they launch a water-based attack. But with magic channels, all you have to do is manipulate your mana that you are running through them and it can take on the desired effect. Okay, that, that makes more sense. Sounds like magic channels are a lot better then, I concluded. Well, yes and no. While they are more versatile, they are difficult to maintain and require several mages working in almost perfect unison to utilize. Runes are also cheaper and easy to replace if they get damaged, she said. How would they get damaged? I asked. Well, they are basically just scratches filled with manner-infused clay or dyes. They could get hit, or a stray magic bolt, or even just accidentally wiped off. Pretty fragile, then, I said. They can be, but really it depends on the skill and power of its creator. A skilled rune maker would produce higher quality and more durable runes. But, of course, they would charge more as well, she said. Yeah, that makes sense, I said. So where could we find a rune maker? I asked. I don't know, Simmer said. You don't know, but you live here, I asked. Jake... Do you live in a city? She asked. Yes. Tell me where every woodcarver in your city is, she said. All right, uh, good point, I realized. Any ideas on how to find out? I asked. I don't know. 
Maybe we could go ask the Grand Duke. A noble like him is bound to know a skilled moonmaker, and he was wanting to meet you anyway. She said that last part excitedly. Okay, sounds good, but, um... Who is the Grand Duke? I wondered. End of chapter. Chapter 24 Suma explained to me what and who the Grand Duke was. Basically, he was like the Prime Minister or a Supreme Court judge. She told me that she had met him a few days ago, the day of the attack, at the time that I was at work. So that's what you wanted, I realized. The Grand Duke guy wanted to talk to me. Yes, Suma answered. He finds you interesting and wanted to meet you in person. You don't think that he'd have anything to do with those nobles attacking you, do you? I wondered aloud. I doubt it. The Grand Duke was elected on a platform of holding nobles accountable for their transgressions. In truth, he's not a popular figure in the noble society. He has personally brought over ten high-ranking nobles to justice and spearheaded reforms in laws that gave more power to commoners and other non-nobles, Sewer explained. Isn't he a noble? I asked. Well, yes, but technically no. He is from a noble family, but in order to become a Grand Duke... But in order to become a Grand Duke, you have to give up any right to nobility so that you can't be swayed by the promise of increasing your own riches. Imagine if a lord of a profitable area became the Grand Duke. He could just then create laws that benefited him and weakened his opponents, she said. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I nodded that I understood. So, um, how do we get an appointment? I guess we go to the Royal Citadel and make an appointment, or maybe we'll get lucky and he'll be available when we get there, she guessed. Okay, how far is it from here? For me, uh, not far. For you, uh, very far. She said, half joking, half being serious. Okay, you fly there and I'll just wait here, I guess, I suggested. Okay, see you in a bit, she said and flew away. I looked around and then down at my sword and shield that I was still holding. What am I going to name you? I wondered to myself quietly. I sat on the ground and looked closely at the sword, admiring its craftsmanship and its fine edge. Excalibur, maybe. A bit on the nose. I pulled out my phone. It hadn't occurred to me to try and use it while in this world, mostly because I'd assumed it wouldn't work. No bars. I said, seeing my utter lack of service. Too bad, that could have been pretty useful. I put my phone back away and picked up the shield with my other hand, being sure to lay the sword down carefully so as to not scratch it. What about you? Maybe something simple and easy to remember, just like shield or wall. I decided to look up a few famous weapons from history when I got back home. Hey, um, Suma, I said, trying to contact her. Almost there, Jake, not long now, she answered. Well, that's good, but uh, not that I was wondering. Uh, I was trying to decide names for my new weapons. Any ideas from your country's history, I asked. Well, there are a few things that come to mind for your shield, but nothing for the sword, I'm afraid. My world is nothing like it, she said. What names do you have for the shield? Well, there is a story from our mythology about a man who used a magic to create an impenetrable walls of energy to protect his forces. His name was Azan of the Barrier, and the right he used was later named in his honor, Azan's Wall. Azan? Not bad, I acknowledged, interesting in the name. What else? There was said to be a fortress that stood against a siege for a solid two years before it finally fell. It was called Fort Montac, she suggested. By the way, I'm here, ready to go. I picked up the sword and shield. Ready. She summoned me, and I reappeared standing in front of a large triangular castle of sorts, with many important-looking guards and their familiars, waiting at the gates. Um, but I being allowed there in here like this? I asked. 
I, uh, think so, she said hesitantly. They'll probably just assume that you are under my control. Suma perched on my shoulder, and we walked up to the guards. One of them asked the reason for our entrance. We are attempting to schedule an appointment with the Grand Duke at his request. The guard that she was talking to looked over at me. Keep this one on a tight leash, he said, and then they stepped aside to let us pass. They just let us pass. No papers, no further questions. Just a single question and an order to keep a familiar under control, I asked amazed. The guards of the Citadel are said to be the most powerful and well-trained of all the Grand Duke's armed forces, even more so than his own personal guard. If anyone tries to do something that they don't like, they won't be alive long enough to regret it, she explained as they walked into the building. Noted, I said, looking around. It was a large, open area, with a small purchase dotted around certain places. It resembled a grand sanctum, the place where Suma made me her familiar. But somehow, it seemed more official and less, uh, sacred or ceremonial. We went up to the desk with a young Niyama sitting behind it. She was about Suma's height, but rounder, with darker feathers and a bit less sparkly. Hi, we are here to schedule an appointment with the Grand Duke, Suma said. The Grand Duke asked us to, she added. Reason for visit, the other Niyama asked with a sweet high-pitched voice. He requested to speak to me regarding my familiar. My name is Suma, Suma replied. Ah, of course, I was made aware that you might come by. The Grand Duke has made a special appointment time available for you if you're free in three days, the Niyama told us. Will that work for you? Suma asked me. I nodded my head. I mean, you freeze time whenever you summon me, so I'm really always free. I said jokingly. I saw the other Niyama's face when I started talking, but she didn't speak up or anything. She just looked very surprised. Suma looked confused for a moment. I don't freeze time when I summon you. End of chapter. Chapter 25 Ah, of course. I was made aware that you might come by. The Grand Duke has made a special appointment time available for you if you are free in three days. The Niyama told us. Will that work for you? Suma asked. I nodded my head. I think so. Uh, I mean, you can freeze time or whatever when you summon me, so I'm really free always. I said jokingly. I saw the other Niyama's face when I started talking, but she didn't speak up or anything. She just looked very surprised. Suma looked confused for a moment. I don't freeze time when I summon you. I was taken aback at this, at this extremely shocked. What are you talking about? Every time you summon me and then put me back, I end up at the exact moment I left. Of course, you're freezing time. I let my words hang in the air for a moment, and the room felt unnaturally still as I waited for her answer. A wait that spanned an eternity of mere seconds. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jake. I absolutely have no way to stop time. No one does. It's impossible. Suma shifted to my shoulder uncomfortably. But I do believe you. You believe me, I asked. But you said that it was impossible. You're basically the walking definition of impossible, Jake. There is so much that we don't know about you and your abilities. Who's to say that somehow time isn't stopping when I summon you? At this point, nothing surprises me anymore, she said, shaking her head. Um, the Niyama interrupted. So, I take it that you are free for a noon appointment in three days? Suddenly, Suma and I snapped back to what we were doing and told the Niyama that we wanted the appointment. We walked out of the Royal Citadel. Well, I walked, and Suma rode. Suma, I began. What do you mean when you called me impossible? You have incredible strength, a forgiving heart, impossible levels of life force, and you have the ability to produce magic from your body at the same time as you manipulate the magic in the air. 
If you had any control or education in it, even the slightest bit, you would be a court-level mage, Zuma explained. Okay, but what did you mean when you said that there was stuff that you didn't know about me? The only thing I can think about is what happened to the Grand Sanctum, I said. You remember, right? That fire guy? Yes, I remember. And while that is one of them, perhaps even the biggest one, I didn't mean only that, Zuma said. What else don't we know, I wondered. Well, there are quite a few things, really. By your being born without magic suddenly develops into a prodigy. How you are able to understand me and the rest of my kind, despite never learning the language. And of course, there are things like your magical attributes and other things that are a bit easier to find out, Suba said. Well, uh, why don't we start up by finding out what we can? Begin with the simple stuff, you know, I suggested. Yes, I suppose you have a point. And I was going to bring it up after getting your attributes tested anyway. Suma started letting her thought trail off. With a jolt, snapped back to the start, explained, Oh, right, attributes is... I cut her off. Actually, I've read about manga and watched enough anime to know that much, at least. And attribute is basically what I'll be most gifted in, I said. Uh, yes? Exactly, Suma said. For a moment, she had a look on her face that she wanted to ask a question, but she never did. So, um, what are we starting with, I asked. Finding out that your attribute will be the easiest, but we will have to purchase the time slot with the equipment for the Grand Sanctum, she said. Alternatively, we could go to the city's library and try to find the materials about what we saw in the Grand Sanctum. What will they charge us for the time slot? I questioned. Most people accept coins made from rare metals, but the far more common method is to pay with mana transference, she explained. I thought back and remembered the conversation Sumer and I had a week ago when she explained how her world's economy worked. So most people pay with mana, she said. How does that work, I asked. Well, most vendors and businesses have the containers to store mana, so when you pay for something, you just put the required mana into it, she said. And what do they do with it, I wondered. Sell it to the army, trade it with other vendors, or use it in crafting magical tools or equipment, she said. So I can pay for it then, if you want, Suma said. Snapping back to the present, I turned to Summer and said, All right then, let's go get my tribute tested. End of chapter. Chapter 26 Alright then, let's go get my attributes tested. We started heading towards Suma's house so that I could put away my new shield and sword. Well, I say we, but really she just flew there and then summoned me and my stuff, and then she flew to the Grand Sanctum so that I could be tested. After I reappeared, I looked around the large bird cage-like room. Is this where we were last time when we came through here? No. But it does look rather similar. This is actually the opposite end of the building, Zuma said from her perch nearby. So what exactly happens during this test, I wondered. I don't know, Zuma said simply. It caught my attention quite quickly to hear her say that. What do you mean that you don't know? You suggested it, I said a bit worried. Yeah, I know what it is, but not how it works. I was tested as a child. I, I don't remember much, she explained. Will it hurt, I asked. I don't know. Will they put me to sleep? I asked more nervously. Honestly, Jake, you're on a mountain of muscle and magical power. Don't be such a skiddler. Suma teased. Uh, what? A small amphibian that is known for running away from predators. Ha, 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 I said sarcastically. So, where do we go to get me tested? I asked, looking around the room again. This time for a sign or a help desk or something. I'm not sure exactly. You go left and I will go right. Let me know if you find anything. Suma said and flew off. I walked around for a while before seeing a nymph perched in the center of the room. I started to walk towards him, 
but as soon as I did, he squawked loudly and flew away. I kept going for a bit until Suma finally contacted me saying that you found the area. Oh, good, I said. The only thing I found was some... I was cut off halfway through the sounds of flapping wings and shouts. Mind that creature! I can't have got him far! Who would just let that familiar roam around like that? Who could be some dangerous... Um, Suma, please summon me now, I said, not wanting to deal with the issue. Just as I began to vanish, I heard a voice shout, There he is! I was fully gone by the time they got to me. Ready to get tested, Jake? Suma asked excitedly. Uh, yep. I decided to forget about what just happened. We were led into a large room by Niema with almost completely white feathers. It was the first one that I'd seen with so little blue that at first I didn't realize it was one. Looking closer, I saw the one little blue she did have was pale and cloudy. Over our mental connection, I asked Suma about it. Suma, why does this Niema have almost no blue? This is the Grand Sanctum. I don't know the specifics, but I do know some who live and work here choose to have the color of the feathers removed completely or dyed white. Suma said. Why don't you know? I asked. Because it's a religious thing and I don't attend this church, she explained. Her answer made sense. I couldn't expect her to know everything about her world. After all, there was plenty of stuff in mind that I didn't know. The room we were in was large and tall, but in the center of the room was a table of salts with several different colored gems adorning them. The table was solid all the way through, as if it were carved from a single block of stone and two feet tall. Off to the sides and the room were smaller tables. Well, they were more like tall bumps on the floor, really, but they each had several gems within it. Place your hands on the gems one by one, the Niema instructed. If the gem glows, then that is your branch, and we can proceed to the required table. Her voice was small and faint, but not timid, it was like she had never raised it in her whole life, sounding frail, yet elegant. I placed my hands on the first two gems, but the Niema clarified that she meant place both hands on a single gem. I apologized and moved my left hand over to the gem my right hand was on. I waited for a moment, but it didn't glow and the Niema said that I should move on to the next one. I repeated this process for every gem on the table, until there was only a single one left. I guess that's my tribute, I said, placing my hand on the gem and turning to the Nyama. The Nyama averted her gaze as if to hide her face, and quietly said, You have my steepest sympathies. I am so sorry. Her voice sounded like she was sad. It broke as she spoke for the second time, and I thought she was beginning to sing. However, she quickly regained her composure and apologized again. I'm so sorry, Sir Jake. Uh, sorry? Why? I asked. Jake, Suma said, sounding very upset herself. That is the gem of chaos. Okay. What's that mean? I asked, confused. It was the white Niema that answered the question. The attributes of all living things fall under two broad categories, order and chaos. Almost everyone has some form of order magic. These common attributes include energy, body, nature, and mind. Each of these can be subdivided further. For instance, Masuma, what is your attribute? My tribute is healing, Suma said. It falls under body type. Exactly. However, chaos types are exceedingly rare. There have only been four or five, if you believe the legends, chaos majors in recorded history. Some kinds of chaos are illegal. Anyone found practicing them are punished severely. The white Niema concluded. What? So you're saying that I might not even be able to use my magic? 
I questioned, feeling a bit sad and angry. It is possible, she told me. I sighed, well, uh, we've come this far, I said and laid my hand on the final gem. The dark blue, deep black glow emanated from the gem, and I heard an audible gasp from the white nymph. So, is it the illegal type? I asked. We, we don't know. That gem only tells us that it is chaos, she explained. I looked over at Suma, who had been quiet this whole time, and saw her wide-eyed and looking what she was on the verge of freaking out. She was staring off into space and breathing heavily. I placed a hand on her and she jumped slightly in surprise, but soon leaned into my hand. She began to calm down as we followed the nymph to another smaller table. First, place your hands on the gem closest to you, she almost ordered. She sounded quite uncertain and nervous. I did as she said, but didn't glow. She breathed a sigh of relief and relaxed a tense body. Okay, good. You're not the illegal attribute. Well, what is it? I asked, beginning to get exasperated. Place your hands on the gem directly to the left of the one you touched, she said, more relaxed. I did, and the gem glowed a navy blue. So, um, what kind is it? End of chapter. Part 27 Place your hands on the gem directly to your left of the one that you just touched, she said, much more relaxed. I did, and the gem glowed a navy blue. So, um, what kind of magic is it? Inversion magic, the white nymph said. Suma let out a deep relief sigh. Thank goodness, she said. Is that good? I wondered. If you have the chaos type magic, then that's the one you want, Suma said. I have never met an inversion magic user. It's a quite a rare attribute, the nymph noted. How rare? I asked. I've only ever heard of one, she said. The first one. And until you, only creature to use inversion magic was the familiar of the legendary court mage Unsuk Baldogan. So, um, what does it do? I asked. Inversion magic is a unique in that it is only known way for a mage to cast a spell outside their normal types. It switches all order of magic into its chaos magic counterpart, and vice versa, Simmer explained, which also explains what happened the other day in the alley. It does? I wondered. The chaos equivalent of the healing attribute is one of the forms of the illegal magic type that we talked about earlier. Death magic, specifically the pain attribute, also called injury magic, Suma said in a serious tone. It also explains why the guards found evidence of torture on the noble because uh, Suma stopped talking and averted a gaze to the ground. Suma, so sorry I, I didn't. I tried to say, but you cut me off. Stop, Jake. You didn't know. Neither did I. We couldn't have known. Her voice was shaking and beginning to break. This whole time, I thought it was my fault. I, that I had messed up somehow, that I'd done something wrong, but it wasn't, and I didn't. Suma turned to the white nymph and bowed. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. This has taken such a burden off my shoulders. Please, there is no need for that, Lady Suma, the white nymph said as she tried to get Suma to straighten herself. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, but what exactly does this mean? Like, uh, what do I do with the inversion magic? I asked. I mean, uh, if I'm going to invert every type and attribute I come across, what does this mean for our combo magic? Suma looked caught off guard for a moment. You make a good point. Since my attribute is healing and yours is inversion, any combo magic would be illegal. So, uh, we won't have access to the biggest gun in our arsenal, I said. Wait. What does that mean about my spells? Will I be allowed to do magic? 
I asked, a bit worried. It was the white nymph who answered the question. Oh yes, you will still be able to use magic. However, since you are a chaos magic user, you won't be able to perform any spells that use order magic, as it is your natural opposite. So, um, I can't use water or fire magic? I asked. Oh no, both chaos and order mages can manipulate the elements and energy. But you wouldn't be able to do is perform healing magic, or really any magic that is only possessed by order mages, like body magic and mind magic. However, energy and nature magic can be performed by both types of mages, the white nymph said. But you said earlier that there were order types, I pointed out. There are, she said, but that's just how I learned them. So can I, I mean, can Niema, who have attributes, use both chaos and order, I asked. No, while the attributes may exist in both types, they are technically using order magic, Sewer said. So does that mean I can only use spells that have to do with inversion magic? I asked. Of course not. You can use any type of chaos magic, Super said. As long as it isn't illegal, that is, the other nymph added. Right, I said a bit confused. They spent a few minutes explaining what types of magic I could legally use, and which were forbidden by law. Apparently, there were not nearly as many known branches of chaos magic as there are order magic, and none of the branches were illegal entirely. I have access to five known branches. Inversion, death, nature, energy, and wild. Death was ruled illegal and by practice of it, or its uh, subordinate attributes, war, pain, injury, plague, and famine, is punishable by imprisonment. Wild magic is a blanket term meaning unknown and unclassified. Anything that they don't know about or haven't studied is this type. Eventually, Sumer and I said goodbye to the White Niamma and headed out to the training ground. We decided to walk to it, that way that we could have a conversation about what we learned and how to proceed. So, um, it looks like I have some studying to do, I said. You need to be careful, Jake. Researching chaos magic will undoubtedly draw a lot of unwanted attention. Nobility, royalty, and even some commoners all have their eyes on people who try and use it. Sumer explained after perching on my shoulder. Why does everyone fear it so much? I get that it's rare, but this feels more like uh, fearing the unknown, I pointed out. There may have been only one known creature to have inversion magic, but there have been several instances of chaos mages, or creatures that possess chaos magic going on rampages and killing thousands, or even millions. Who were they? Arguably the most famous is the Death Dragon. It was a being of unimaginable power that laid waste to most of the world, nearly leading to my race's extinction, Sua said. Wait, you have dragons here? I said amazed. No, not anymore. They all disappeared years ago. How? No one knows, she said. Some say that they were hunted to extinction after the Death Dragon's rampage, Others think they just died off naturally. They were tremendous beasts, requiring a lot of food, most of which the Death Dragon destroyed. And the others? I asked. Who were the other Chaos magic users, I mean? There were beings from another world that found their way to ours. They were seemingly unstoppable and fearless warriors of incomparable power, and they called themselves... Vikings. End of chapter. There were beings from another world that found their way to ours. They were seemingly unstoppable. A fearless warriors of incomparable power, they called themselves Vikings. Uh, uh, did you say Vikings? I half yelled. All of the things that you could have said, that was definitely not on my list of potential guesses. Suma's head pulled back quickly. Uh, yes, she said hesitantly. Have, have you heard of them? She said, seemingly realized. 
In a manner of speaking, um, yes. They invaded my homeland over a thousand years ago, although we called them the Danes and the Northmen. So their wrath is made it to your world as well. They were ruthless in my world. Was it the same for yours? She didn't have lips, but based on the tone, I could just imagine her spitting out their names. Her voice was almost spiteful, as if they were the world equivalent to Nazis. Yeah, they came out of nowhere and conquered as they went. They would attack, raid, and loot everything, and take as many people for slaves as they could. Men, women, and even children didn't matter to them. I told them everything I remembered from the history class, but that wasn't much. I think they mostly attacked port cities, though. I can't say that I paid much attention to the stories from my arcane history class, but that definitely sounds like them, with one major difference, Sewer said. What? They didn't take slaves, really? I guess that makes sense. Your species is rather small. I nodded my head, thinking about it. They did eat a lot of people, though, she mentioned. What? I yelled too loudly, and Cyril Niyama looked at us, startled. They didn't do that in your world, she wondered. Um, not that I know of, I said. I thought about it for a moment, and I reasoned that the Vikings probably couldn't understand Sumer like I can, meaning to them they were just birds with magic. Hopefully, that's what happened anyways. Well, I wouldn't put it past them, Suma scoffed, but really, it was more of a chirp. Hey, um, Suma, I want to practice my magic a bit. Can you give me some pointers? I asked, changing the topic to something less disgusting than cannibalism. Suma hesitated for a moment. I can try, but chaos magic is very different from order magic. What I know may not translate very well. Well, you showed me how to use summoning magic. Can't be that different, I pointed out. True, Suma said. I guess there is no harm in trying. And I guess that I need my bond, my new sword and shield too, I added. Yes, we need to do that before you leave today, or we'll at least find a place for my home to store it safely, she said. I'll fly ahead and summon you once I'm in the training area. With that, Suma spread her wings and took off. While waiting, I thought that it would be fun to try out some magic. Okay then, uh, something simple, water from the air. I started closing my eyes and reaching out my hand into a pool of energy just like I did when Suma tested to see where my magic was coming from. After I felt the power start to flow, I pictured water vapor accumulating in my hand. I pictured it taking the shape of a ball. When I opened my eyes, a small baseball-sized orb of water was floating just in front of me. I played with it for a moment, stretching it out, compressing it flat. I even froze it and then finally turned it to steam. Just as I had done that, Suma said that she had arrived and began summoning me. Hey, you! Someone yelled from behind me. Yes, I said as I turned around to see who it was. But just as I did, I felt something big and heavy hit my face, hard. Then everything went black. End of chapter. Chapter 29. Hey, you! Someone yelled from behind me. Yes, I said as I turned around to see who it was. Just as I did, I felt something big and heavy hit my face, hard. Then everything went black. The next thing I remember was Suma standing over me, panicking and casting some kind of magic. Also, my nose was in tremendous pain. Oh! I groaned and grabbed my nose. Jake, thank goodness, you had me worried there for a second. You collapsed just after appearing and blood started pouring out of your face. I cast healing on you, but I'm not overly familiar with your biology, so I couldn't reset your nose. Well, what happened? Suma said in a panicked voice. I, I think I just got hey you'd, I said. There was a moment of silence before Suma replied, Hey you'd? 
It means someone called my attention, then hit me as soon as I turned around, I explained. I examined my nose. It was definitely broken and with obscene amounts of pain. And my eyes were watering and my whole face throbbed. Suma, I need you to set my nose. I'll explain how. Thankfully, after I first got summoned all those years ago, I did a lot of research into first aid treatment. I explained to Suma as much as I knew and instructed her how to reset my nose by pushing it back into place. I couldn't tell, but that part seemed to make her uneasy. I also explained how human bones grow and repair themselves just in case that I had any facial damage that the broken nose was distracting me from feeling. After a few quick spells, and a lot of screaming on my part when she reset my nose, I was all patched up and very tired. Suma, why am I so suddenly exhausted? Healing takes energy. You probably burned through quite a few calories when I healed you. You should be fine after some food and rest, at least. That's how it is with Nyama, she explained. Makes sense, I said, laying on the ground on my back. I think maybe you should send me back before I fall asleep here. You don't want to find out who, um, heyed you? Suma asked. Uh, not right now, I said, half asleep. I know he said that we would teach you magic, but I think maybe we should do it after you recover. Suma suggested. I didn't say anything back. I just grunted in agreement. Suma sent me back after that, and I reappeared back in my living room, still lying on the floor. Normally, I'd be asleep in my bed, but instead, I just grabbed one of the pillows from the couch and a blanket, and I slept on the floor so that I didn't have to move. I woke up ten hours later, absolutely starving, but with more energy and no pain. I ate five granola bars and two cups of instant ramen a whole box of Pop-Tarts, and a bowl of cereal. Then I decided to call Suma and tell her that I was awake. Suma, I just woke up. I'm feeling a lot better. There was no response. I figured that she might be in the sleep, so I would just call her later. I checked the time, 12.39am. Well then, there goes my normal sleep schedule, I said disappointedly. All the time in Suma's world is messing with my body's clock. I wondered to myself if Suma's world proper name was as it hadn't occurred to me to ask. I decided that I would the next time I saw her. I checked my phone for the first time since I woke up. It said that I had 12 missed calls from work and 3 from family and friends. Great, I moaned. I can't call them back now, they're all asleep. I guess I can later. Until then, I had some cleaning and junk to do. I put away my dishes and searched for cool names for my sword and shield online and dropped it all off with watching TV until 9am. Finally, I called most of the people who called me. It was mostly my mom asking how my day was and a friend wanting to know if I was free that weekend, but I knew my work wasn't calling about that. I'd missed an entire day and hadn't called anyone to let them know that I wasn't coming in. I called my boss back at about 11 o'clock and prepared myself for the worst. Jake, he answered the phone. Hi, Mr. Vidal, I said, trying to sound much more calm than I actually was. Jake, are you okay? You, you missed work yesterday and you didn't call anyone, he asked. Ah, uh, sorry uh, about that. I was with a friend and someone knocked me out. I spent several hours passed out from pain meds. I only just woke up last night at midnight, I explained. Y you were attacked. Are you alright, he asked. I am fine now. The doctor had thought that I broke my nose, but luckily I got away with a mild concussion, I lied. You shouldn't sleep with a concussion, Jake, Mr. Bidel said. Yeah, but those meds didn't give me much choice, I laughed. Well, are you going to be able to come into work today? He asked. Yes, sir, I'll see you in a bit, I said. 
We said goodbye and I hung up the phone. I decided to try and call Summer again. Hey Summer, are you there? I heard a yawn followed by a, hey Jake, feeling better. Yeah, I'm fine now. Hey, can you summon me in about 10 minutes? Um, sure, I guess. Why? She asked. I want to name my sword and shield, and I finally picked them, and I just need a few minutes to get ready. Okay, she said. Just let me know when you're ready. With that, I went around my house, grabbing a few things I thought might come in handy, and throwing them into my backpack. Okay, Suma, I'm ready. End of chapter. Chapter 30 Okay, she said. Just let me know when you're ready. With that, I went around my house, grabbing a few things that I thought might come in handy and throwing them into my backpack. Okay, Suma, I'm ready. My feet, legs, and torso, and finally head all disappeared, and the world went black. Normally, when I was summoned, it was like a long blink. Then, I'm in Suma's world. But this time, it was different. I stayed in the blackness for longer. Too long. I began to panic, but calmed down once I saw the light. Literally. I saw a small flicker of light distantly in that endless darkness. Sentinel! The light called out to me in a thunderous voice. It echoed in my ears and my mind, as if it were both telepathy and physical sound. Some force began to draw me closer to the light, like I was falling towards it. What's going on? I wondered. I felt strangely calm, despite having no idea what was happening. Once I got close enough, I realized what the light was. It was a figure of the flame that had been there when Suma named me. This time, I could see that it was much more clearly. It was humanoid, for the most part, but had colossal leathery wings and a python-sized tail with spikes at the end. It was made entirely out of what seemed like fire or raw energy, looking at it while like staring at the sun. Sentinel! It called out again, but softer this time, and his voice was more human now. What are you? I asked as I came to a floating stop before it. I was maybe twenty feet away from him, it, and I saw that its body was shifting and remolding itself. Parts of it would be fairly human, then immediately shift to something more reptilian. I am, it said in a human voice, but instantly it switched to a thunderous voice again, and its head took on a more reptilian features. Your doom! The head transformed back into a humanish shape and smoke once again in a calm voice. Your friend. You have a real Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde thing going on there. Just as I said that, I started falling again, this time away from the figure. Kill! Protect, the figure said as my eyes opened, and I was staring at Zuma, who was perched on a tree branch a few feet away. So, uh, you decided on a name, huh? She said cheerfully. End of chapter. Chapter 31. So you decided on a name, huh? She said cheerfully. I tried to blink and shake the fog out of my brain, but no matter how hard I tried, I still felt like I woke up from some kind of fevered dream. One that grew fuzzier the longer I was awake. I, um, I think I saw the figure on the flame again, the one from the time I became your familiar, the Grand Sanctum. Remember? I said, trying to focus on everything I saw. But the harder I thought, the more it slipped away from me. What? When? Suma asked, shocked. When you summoned me, how long was I gone for? I said, sitting on the ground and placing my howl-throbbing head between my legs. Gone? What do you mean? I summoned you and then you appeared, just like always. 
It felt a lot longer than that from my perspective. I, I talked to him. It. Whatever. It was bipolar as heck, I joked. Um, Suma started, but I cut her off. He was switching back and forth between aggressive and friendly. He, his voice, body, personality, everything. It all kept changing as we talked. He wanted to kill me and protect me, I explained. What did he look like? Suma wondered. I, uh, I don't quite remember. It's all so fuzzy now, like, like I was dreaming, he said. Do your people dream? I wondered. Of course, she scoffed, but I've never remembered mine afterwards. Me neither, but this definitely wasn't a dream. I know the difference, I said. I know I've said this before, but you certainly are a weird familiar sometimes, Suma laughed. So, did he say anything important? I thought for a moment, trying to recall what happened as best I could. I don't think so. I stood up again, my headache bending away. He mostly just said that he was my doom and my friend. What do you want to do about it? Suma questioned with her head tilted curiously. Nothing yet, I said after a moment of pause to think. Even if I wanted to right now, I wouldn't know what to do or where to begin. So what do you want to do then? She asked. What I came here to do for now, let's go name my sword and shield, I said, looking around for my weapons. I found them where I'd left them yesterday, laying on top of the stone under a shade of a large tree. So you have names then? Suma chirped. Yes, I do. Let's begin with the shield first. I said and held the shield out. Suma landed on my shoulder and I moved it close enough for her to touch it, just like last time. She cast the spell and a blue magic circle formed around it and wrapped itself around the shield. Another form around both of our feet. Now name it, she said. I guess, I said. The magic circle changed from a brilliant blue to a burning red, then faded away. I guess, Suma asked. Yeah, a great warrior from my world's mythology used a shield by that name, I said. Suma nodded her head in understanding. Okay, are you ready to do the sword? Absolutely, I answered. We repeated the process once more, and when Suma told me to name it, I shouted out, Mori! And just as before, the circle shifted from blue to red, then vanished. And what mythical hero used a sword named Mori? Suma asked. None that I know of. In a dead language of my world, Mori means death or to die. It's a fitting name for this one, I thought, I said. Ah, so you speak some of your world's forgotten languages? Suma asked. Of course. I lied. I read about it on Reddit, actually, but she didn't need to know that. Anyway, let's try these out, I said excitedly. How do you want to test it? Suma asked and flew over to a low-hanging tree branch. I looked around at the ground, then the trees, and then finally at Suma. I don't think you could lift a stick up and whack me with it, so why don't you just cast an attack spell at me? I suggested. Suma looked nervously at the ground they'd shifted on her branch. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a great idea, she said hesitantly. It needs to be able to defend against magic as well as physical attacks, so it's better to find out if it can in practice than on the battlefield, I told her. She still seemed uneasy, but agreed and took a position on a rock a few meters away. Ready? She asked warily. Ready, I confirmed. Suma closed her eyes for a moment and then snapped them open again. As she began to speak, Flames gather in my presence, form and shape into a bolt and pierce my enemies. As she spoke, small embers began to flicker in front of her and stretch out into a dart-like shape. Then they erupted into a scorching yellow flames. Fly, crimson bolt, she shouted, and the bolt of fire flew at me at the speed of a thrown softball. 
I instinctively raised my shield to cover my head and position my body behind it as well. I felt the force of the magic hit my shield, but it didn't pierce through. I peeked my head over slowly and examined the shield before looking back at Suma. I think it worked, I said, smiling like a goofball. Are you okay? she asked, worried. I'm perfectly fine. I guess blocked everything. I didn't even feel the heat, I told her. She sighed, relieved. Now let's test the summoning part. I placed Igus on the ground and walked away a few meters before calling it out to it. Just like Destiny, it disappeared in a flash and reappeared right back in my left arm, just like I wanted. Ready to test Mori? Zuma asked. Uh, I said, sending Igus away and summoning Mori. Mori! It almost instantly blinked into existence in my right hand. Well, that past works, I joked. It's a weapon made to cut things, right? What will you test it on? Zuma wondered. First, I want to test the balance. I took fencing in high school, so I can know how I can use it, but I'm worried about its strength. I'll just test its edge later on some fruit and logs, I explained. I started swinging the sword a bit, just some simple thrusts and downward slashes at first. But once I started to get a feel for it, I began doing mock parries and other advanced techniques. I could feel Suma's eyes on me, staring in some mix of awe and concern. I sent Mori away and asked if she had any fruit. Suma snapped out of fixation and jolted. Huh? Oh, oh yes, uh, in town we can buy several kinds of fruit. I asked her to fly there and then summoned me so that I could buy some to test Mori with. She took off, and I was left alone. Or well, so I thought. Hey, you! End of chapter. This is a special thank you to the one, the only, the legendary Erak Hino who has become the only Tier 6 patron. I just want to thank the T5 patrons and channel members. Bob the Dragon, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Australia the Dreamer, Trigan95, Pudigiol, Meridian117, Olivia, Jordan Buxbaum, Angry Marine, Albarden Gasta, and Barky. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below, both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.